basal body temperature, cervical mucus, cycle tracking. This week, the Gal Pals talk about fertility awareness-based methods. It's your good Gal Pals, Kayla and Arnie, bringing you TMI Talks, where you'll be thinking, no one told me. For friends, sisters, and moms. For all women and vagina havers. Evidence-based information brought to you by a science master obsessed with research and a physician assistant. Just a reminder that this is for educational purposes only. Please seek a medical professional if you have concerns. We do our best to provide up-to-date information backed by evidence-based medicine. We do the research so you don't have to. Welcome to the No One Told Me podcast. This is our fourth episode in our sex ed series, and today we're talking about fertility awareness-based methods of birth control. So Kayla, what is a fertility awareness-based method? That's not something we hear often. If you remember from last week, we ended off our non-hormonal birth control episode talking about fertility awareness-based methods and what they do. So as a little bit of a recap, these are methods that work on really trying to understand your cycle and how your fertility is affected throughout your cycle and what indicators we have to use to be able to determine when we ovulate and when we might be fertile and when we might be less fertile. And it uses these indicators to be able to again, see when we are more fertile and less fertile and thus days and times of the month where we are more likely to conceive and when we are less likely to conceive. If you think back to our code red and our discharge episode and combine them together in your mind, you realize that our cervical mucus changes based on where we are in our cycle. So our cervical mucus can tell us a lot about whether we are close to ovulating ovulating or that ovulation window or fertile window has passed. Using that information, we can use something like cervical mucus tracking methods as a method of birth control. And Kayla is going to tell us more about that. Yes. So if you remember from that episode, we talked a little bit about this. The discharge of the mucus that we produce actually aids the survival of sperm in our body. Our fertile window can be simplified to seven days. I'm going to simplify it for the sake of conversation. And that is because, of course, ovulation is where we're most fertile. That's when the egg is released from the ovary. And sperm can last in your body up to five days because of mucus. So if we have mucus in our body and the sperm lasts five days and you had intercourse five days before you ovulate, sperm from that time We'll be able to fertilize the egg that is released five days later. Now that is accounting for five days of fertility. The other two days, again for simplification purposes, is because an egg is viable in your body about 12 to 24 hours after you ovulate. And if you have intercourse after ovulation, you can get pregnant because sperm is introduced to the air, to your system. And again, the sperm can fertilize the egg. So the five days before ovulation, the two days after ovulation, 
makes the seven days a fertile period. And we can use biomarkers to be able to see when ovulation is and when we might have these fertile days. That's only because um, it's more likely for the egg to become fertilized while it's still in the fallopian tube. The reason why it's no longer quote unquote viable after the 24 hour window is because it's exited the fallopian tube and has already gone towards the uterus where it will either implant or not. So it hasn't been fertilized, it's not going to implant, and then you lose that. So I keep mentioning these biomarkers. What are these biomarkers? Arnie, do you, did you want to talk about that? So we briefly mentioned one, uh, which is cervical mucus. And I'm going to reflect back to a really great visual you gave in a previous episode, Kayla. Um, the discharge episode, we were talking about how the discharge changes closer to ovulation to make sperm easier to travel up the reproductive tract. And you mentioned that when you look at it under a microscope, you see these nice tracts, almost as like lineations for guiding the sperm upwards and towards the egg. So I'm just bringing that up because I love that visual. It makes things so much easier to understand. So cervical mucus tracking is one of those biomarkers that we can use. The other ones are things like basal body temperature and uh, checking for ovulation using our luteinizing hormone levels and progesterone. That we can track by using ovulation strips. And the other biomarker is of time itself. So we're gonna talk about these methods in more detail to make it make more sense. So just kind of going backwards a little bit, we can use these biomarkers by themselves or in conjunction with the others to make a fertility awareness-based method of birth control. And we're going to talk about them more in detail now. Yes, we chunk these methods into four categories based on what biomarker they're using or what biomarkers they're using. The categories are cervical mucus, symptothermal, the Marquette method, and the calendar or rhythm method. Now, before we move on, all of these methods basically use a biomarker and determine when you are fertile and when you are less fertile with the idea that if you are trying to avoid pregnancy, you would be able to engage in intercourse when you are less fertile and avoid intercourse when you are fertile or use some sort of barrier device or other method of non-hormonal birth control during your fertile periods. So the first category is cervical mucus. So as already mentioned, cervical mucus can be used because it is an indicator of when we are about to ovulate. As we mentioned in our discharge episode, when you have the clear, stretchier mucus type that actually aids in sperms traveling to your uterus and to your fallopian tubes in in the search for an egg. So mucus is an indicator of ovulation of when you are about to be when you're about to ovulate and it's an indicator of fertility. I don't want to go too deep into how each method is used only because if you're going to use any of these methods an instructor is highly recommended because it's hard to determine that by yourself without proper instruction and we cannot give that to you in our episode that's supposed to be 20 minutes. So if we lump cervical mucus methods together perfect use they are typically 98 to 99 percent effective 
And then in typical use, they are about 94% to 97.9-ish percent effective. So that is cervical mucus methods. Now, if we move to symptothermal methods, Symptom is used to indicate mucus and thermal is used to indicate temperature. So this method uses your mucus tracking similar to the cervical mucus methods that we mentioned previously and also uses basal body temperature, which is another indicator of ovulation because your temperature increases about 0.5 to a degree Fahrenheit during ovulation and yeah, basically Using both temperature and mucus, we're able to, again, differentiate when you have fertile periods and less fertile periods in your cycle. In perfect use, and again, we went over perfect and typical use in our last episode, but as a reminder, perfect use is if you're using it perfectly, like by the book, and typical use is when they do studies and some people try to use it perfectly, but miss the mark a little bit, they don't disqualify that data. So perfect use is... 99.4% to 99.6% effective, and typical use is 81% to 89% effective. We will be adding papers in our, that just give you more information about all of this stuff. I think a question that would come for someone using this method, or at least wanting to get started about knowing how this method works, is how do you take a basal body temperature? And what does basal body temperature even mean? So basal body temperature is essentially a resting or base body temperature. It's your usual day-to-day kind of baseline temperature that your body likes to run at. And the way it's recommended to track basal body temperature and to find out what is your normal. And again, if you go through some sort of program, they would guide you on how to properly use this, but typically it's recommended to chart your temperature by checking your temperature first thing in the morning. Um, And typically, as Kayla mentioned, your basal body temperature will rise by about half a degree shortly after ovulation. And that's when that little spike occurs in your temperature, that's when you're likely to be ovulating. And this, using this method can take some time to figure out again, what fluctuations are normal for you. And again, it is more normal that if you'd like to sleep with a whole bunch of blankets, you might wake up with a slightly higher temperature, but that's why it's important to keep track of the temperature for at least a month before you really start to get an idea of what your changes are like. That's a good point for every single one of these methods. It takes some time to gather the data and to be able to confidently use it. The longer you have data for, the more effectively you can use it. Anyways, so moving on to our third method, which is the only one that we're naming because it's not exactly a category. This is the Marquette method, and this one uses ovulation strips. Now, ovulation strips measure your luteinizing hormone and your progesterone levels, which are a great indicator for ovulation and where you are in your cycle. So typically your luteinizing hormone levels can be excreted through urine and that's what, or that's how these ovulation test strips work. So you pee on a stick, quite similar to peeing on a stick for pregnancy purposes. The luteinizing hormone levels in your body will 
surge or spike right before you ovulate. And that is called an LH or luteinizing hormone surge. Um, and that is a really good physiological indication of ovulation. And that's what these test strips or predictor kits help someone detect. When you're using a predictor kit like this, it's important to use a few over the course of a couple of days to know when that LH is actually surging or the levels are actually increasing. Because when they do finally increase, that's your indication that ovulation will probably occur within the next 12 to 36 hours of this LH surge. And you'll see that played into practice in this method because it prescribes that you use these ovulation ships over a certain course of time. Um, this method was developed by a doctor. And if you actually go to the website, they have all of her papers on it. It's very interesting to read if you want some academic literature to read for no reason. Based on this method, there are kind of like semi-methods within it. So you can use just the ovulation strips. You can use the ovulation strips and mucus tracking, similar to what we talked about before. We can use ovulation strips and basal body temperature or ovulation strips, basal body temperature, and mucus tracking. The efficacy for the Marquette method with only using the monitor or the ovulation strips for a perfect use is 98.4%. And for typical use, it is 98%, so not that different. However, the interesting part is if you, again, I read through all the papers because why not? If you look at the paper that has, that compared all of um, the different categories, the monitor and the mucus, which you would think would have a higher efficacy because you have more data, actually had a typical efficacy of 93%, which I found quite interesting. In the paper, it was hypothesized that people were getting overwhelmed with tracking both the monitoring and the mucus at the same time. And the last method we're talking about is the calendar or rhythm based method. And this has a lot to do with tracking your cycle and figuring out when you ovulate. This particular method uses the basis of a 28 day cycle and the idea that you ovulate on day 14. Now we can probably run into some issues here given that not everyone has a clockwork 28 day cycle not everyone ovulates on day 14 as you may remember from our first episode the day when you ovulate can be pushed back because of stressors physical mental it is not 100 percent likelihood that you will ovulate on day 14 it has a lot to do with everything else going on in your body so with that said how can it be used properly, Kayla? This, as you said, this method is based around times and days, and it doesn't use any biomarker unless you count your period as a biomarker and just tracking it based on when you have your period. As you mentioned, also, it's not as reliable as the other methods we talked about, mainly because your cycle changes. So this method is one of the first fertility awareness-based methods that have been used. It's one of the oldest. It's very outdated because of it, because it's old. There have been some attempts to modernize it, 
So you'll see, if you look it up, you'll see um, it might be referred to as the standard days method where you take your average, the average length of your cycle over like six months and then do a bunch of math to figure out when you're probably going to ovulate each month. It works best for people who have regular cycles, like extremely regular cycles. All in all, it's definitely less effective. 81 to 86% effective. Then again, it does have the little caveat of requires regular menstruation. So this, even with this number, you're completely discounting people Mm -hmm. who might regular cycles. And then the other type of the standard days method has a typical use efficacy of 88%, um, but perfect use is 95%. So it completely depends on what type you're using. Yeah, the range that I got was 75 to 88. Again, because it's changed so much over time and there have been so many developments, the the ranges you'll find are very different. So let's go into some of the pros and cons because there are many pros and many cons to using a fertility awareness-based method as there is to using any form of birth control. So some of the pros. Arnie, do you want to take it away? I can definitely start. So the pros are that there are no medical or physiological side effects. And I say medical and physiological because you're not changing anything with your body. All of these methods really have to do with monitoring and working with what you've already got and collecting your data on how your body works. You're not introducing anything exogenous, not saying that that's a bad thing, but when you introduce anything to your body, whether that be quote unquote natural or medical, you can always end up with some sort of side effects. So when you're just tracking, you don't see these types of side effects. Yeah, another one of that is that it promotes communication and respect. This is because these methods really work well if this these methods really only work if you have communication between the two partners because it's not some it's not like another method where it's the same routine every single day. There are times where what you are doing is abstinence or what you are doing is using condoms or some sort of barrier method. And then there's times where you are more able to not use quote unquote any method at that point. But because things are changing, you do need to have communication with your partner. And it promotes respect because if your partner is not respecting the method that you maybe have both chosen, the method that you have chosen, it's not going to work point blank. The other thing is that it promotes learning about and understanding your body because you're using all of these fertility indicators. You will in turn be very aware of, again, when you are and are not fertile and it will be, you'll be able to um, learn more about yourself because of it. Another great thing about fertility awareness-based methods is you can actually use it in conjunction with other non-hormonal birth control, whether that be barrier protection in by the means of uh, an internal or external condom diaphragms from side etc you have options with that said every kind of birth control method also has their cons and it might not work for those experiencing irregular cycles because of underlying medical conditions such as pcos endometriosis fibroids and those taking certain medications. And I say it might not work because the irregularity in your cycles would make it even more difficult to track 
the particular biomarkers that you need to track for these fertility awareness-based methods. The other thing is, as we mentioned above, figuring out how your body works from month to month, from day to day, from week to week, from month to month, takes time and dedication. A lot of the times you might need to meet up with a specialist or someone who specializes in teaching you how these methods work. So there is some added time that goes into understanding how to use these methods. And they're obviously not for immediate use. So you can't just wake up tomorrow and realize that you want to start using this as a means of birth control. You can wake up tomorrow and start wanting to track all of these biomarkers, but you may not be able to use it immediately for the purposes of birth control. And, and that's the thing about your hormones will change continuously over the course of your lifetime. And what, if one method of birth control works for you at one stage of life, it may not be the same one that works later on in life. And that goes for whether that be a fertility awareness based method of birth control, other non hormonal birth control methods, or even hormonal birth control methods, which brings us to the fact that fertility awareness-based methods are not compatible with hormonal birth control. Fertility awareness-based methods run off of tracking biomarkers to see when you ovulate. Hormonal birth control, the whole purpose of it is to prevent you from ovulating. So if there's no ovulation to track, there's kind of no reason to track your ovulation because there is none. So basically, if you're on hormonal birth control, the only way to use something like fertility awareness-based methods is to not use hormonal birth control in that aspect. If you're thinking of moving from hormonal birth control, you can use this. You can use any of the other methods that we mentioned in our previous episode. As Arnie was saying, the method of birth control that you want to use throughout your life is going to be different and you are free to change it. But these are all the methods that we have here. The way these fertility awareness-based methods work often has to do with a period of either abstinence or using another method of birth control during periods that you are fertile. And because of this, it requires you to have a partner who is taking to partake in this method of birth control. And that is a con for two reasons. One, it can interfere with sexual spontaneity because sometimes intercourse or the lack thereof can take some planning using these methods. And also because it does put a little bit of that responsibility on your partner, it might not be the go-to birth control method for everyone. Now that you know some pros, some cons, and different types of methods for fertility awareness-based methods of birth control, we are going to move on to our break and have a little bit of fun facts. And we're back with a summary. So let's sum it up. Fertility awareness-based methods of birth control work by tracking your body's biomarkers, keeping track of them, knowing when you ovulate, just so you have more control over 
possibly avoiding sex during these times or using additional methods of birth control. Biomarkers include cervical mucus, basal body temperature, LH surges that you can test by using ovulation strips and or your period if you use a calendar or rhythm method. There's many pros and there's many cons. It might take dedication and time. It can also promote communication and respect and helps you learn more about your body when you're tracking and collecting data about you. And now for our fun facts. Our first fun fact is that another name for fertility awareness-based methods is natural family planning. Now, if you see natural family planning on any websites that you look at or any fertility awareness-based method resources, those will probably have a root in a faith-based foundation. But however, it is available to everybody. Ultimately, our bodies typically function in very similar ways. So if it's a method that works for some bodies, it may work for other bodies as well. Another sort of fun fact we wanted to talk about is a question that we've heard. And I know we don't typically include questions in our fun facts, but I think it was worth, I think it was worth mentioning here. And that question is, why doesn't my healthcare provider tell me all about these fertility awareness-based methods? Why am I only told about hormone methods? And that's a loaded question, but the best response we can think of is because these methods cannot be prescribed and typically your healthcare provider is there to guide you in things that they can prescribe. And that's why they're probably taught a lot more about things they can prescribe. That's not to say that you should be swayed into picking one method of birth control versus the other, but it is important to bring up these discussions with your healthcare provider. And if they're not able to provide you with more information themselves, then you're more than welcome to ask about resources. At the very least, that's what we can do, point you to the right place, if we know it. This is a loaded question, but to try to sum it up is full disclosure, in medicine, we're not really taught about these methods in a lot of detail. We're taught about it in brief, but that might be because this is not a method that we can really prescribe. However, don't count your healthcare provider out because I'm sure that at the very least, we'd be able to provide you with some resources. But then again, I can only speak for myself. I'm really happy you addressed that, Arnie, because I've had this question for sure. Through talking to you, it makes a lot of sense that in school, healthcare professionals' education would be a little bit more tailored to things they are administering just because there's a lot of weight in administering something to somebody. So it makes sense that you would you would need to know ever, all the ins and outs. And if you can't administer something to somebody, they might mention it just to be like, by the way, this exists. But that time in schools, I guess, through a teacher perspective is probably better spent on talking about the ins and outs of other methods that has a lot more of an effect on your body and of the patient's body than something that is really just tracking it. But I've definitely had this question before and through talking to you, like it cleared it up a lot for me at least. So I'm happy that you mentioned it. I'm really glad you said that because I, you summed it up much nicer than I did, I think. Yeah, but like, yeah, it's definitely a question I had. I was like, why doesn't, why doesn't like the healthcare community like know about this? And it's not that they didn't know, it's just that 
yeah, it made a lot, it just through talking to you made a lot more sense in my brain. So I appreciate that. And on that lovely note, thanks for listening to our TMI talks where we do the research so you don't have to, but we always encourage it. Let us know if you have any questions at the Gal Pals Guide on Instagram or by emailing us at thegalpalsguide at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe and rate our podcast on your chosen podcast platform. Okay, bye.